Hey there, it's Dr. Stacy Cordovano. I want veterinarians to learn to be happier, healthier, wealthier, and more grateful for the life that we've created. On this podcast, I will speak with outside-of-the-box thinkers to hear new ideas on ways to improve our day-to-day life. Welcome to The Whole Veterinarian. My guest today is Dr. Mike Pownall. Dr. Pownall was a farrier for seven years prior to entering vet school. He graduated in 2001 from the Ontario Veterinary College, and in 2002, he and his wife, Dr. Melissa McKee, started McKee Pownall Equine Services. Their organization is currently represented by three equine vet clinics, 17 vets, 40 support staff spread across the greater Toronto area, and one practice in Wellington, Florida. He is also a partner with Oculus Insights, offering business management services and education to veterinarians throughout the world. Dr. Pownell received his MBA from the Richard Ivey School of Business at Western University in Ontario and was the class valedictorian. He presents internationally on numerous business topics and also contributes to journals on business management topics. He has a blog, podcast, and webinar series on veterinary business management at veterinarybusinessmatters.com. And you can learn more about Oculus Insights at oculusinsights.net. Mike says that while he's involved in many areas of the veterinary industry, the center of it all is a strong desire to help veterinarians and other members of the animal healthcare industry improve their businesses. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for sitting down to chat with me today. How are you? I am doing well. It's such a pleasure. I'm flattered to be invited. Yeah. I know that you have a lot of irons in the fire, but you are still a managing veterinarian for your practice. And I want to expose listeners to some practices that are doing things a little bit differently. And I have heard that you are doing that. So I'm curious today if we can dig into a little bit about your mindset on how you've set up and manage your practice and things that are working for you, uh, given the current landscape of equine vet med. <laughs> Let's jump in. Excited to talk about it. So when did you start the practice? So my wife and I started the practice in March of 2002. We're just about to celebrate our 20th anniversary. So Awesome. And we started the practice just outside of Toronto, Ontario, when everybody said, don't open a practice, there's so much competition. But as I'm sure we'll get into later on, we sort of had a unique take on things. And 20 years later, we're three locations in Toronto. We have a seasonal one in Florida, and we have 16 full-time vets, and we're starting an internship this year, and we have about, I'm going to say, 40 support staff. Wow. Okay. All the practices. Yeah. That, you are managing a lot of people. Yeah. And we talked about this briefly, but you said that you started out with a bit of a different mindset. So can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah. So when I went to school, I was, you know, I was a mature student, so I was... 38 when I graduated. My wife, she's in her late 20s too. And, but you know, when we were in school, so this is, we're talking, uh, you know, let's say late uh, 90s, early 2000s, a couple of things we recognized in, in school. And it was that the generation that was graduating, whether it was male or female, doesn't matter. The whole idea of being a vet and working 24 seven on call all the time, single road warrior, that was a thing of the past. Like it just, no. And we saw the newer generation was more collaborative. They wanted more out of life than just working. And so we said, when we're going to start a practice, 
those are the things we need to take in, take in mind. Like those are critical. And so right off the bat, when we started our practice, you know, fairly audaciously thinking, we want this to grow into a bigger practice because if we can be a bigger practice, that means more vets to share on call. And that means, you know, we can work regular hours, like we're going to be a nine to five or eight to five practice. We want our veterinarians to be able to actually have a life with horses because, you know, the joke always was, if you like horses and you're in vet school, you should go into small animal vet. And we're like, that's crap. So that was the mindset from the very beginning. Let's have a practice that is attractive to the newer generation of vets and be very mindful that people want time off. The other thing too, being in Canada, maternity leave is a year. It was a year at the mm -hmm. time. It's a bit longer where we are now. And so with 85% of the graduates being female, we needed to have a family-friendly practice. And we can do that only by being bigger. So we always have excess capacity. So if somebody's on maternity leave, we're, we're not struggling. Got it. I mean, that is progressive for the early 2000s. I mean, I feel like we're still catching up to that idea today. Really, I mean, to have a successful practice, you need to have something where people want to work. Mm -hmm. So veterinarians can deliver veterinary care. Um, you need great support staff. Um, and we wanted to have a, a practice that's big too, so we can give opportunities for support staff so they didn't have a, you know, an artificially uh, low ceiling on their career development. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to move beyond being a vet assistant or a receptionist, by growing, we can identify keen people and create opportunities for them. Okay. So besides the number of people, what are some things that you have done to stay progressive or to keep people happy in their day-to-day -day work life? Yeah, I can think of two, th three things. So the first was initially, like everybody else, all the vets were compensated on production. And we really wanted to have a culture of collaboration. We wanted the practice to grow. We wanted young vets to be able to join the practice and not feel rushed into, you know, jumping into seeing clients, what have you. And so really the mindset was we want the practice to grow, not necessarily individuals. So we were very much of a, a group think practice. Mm-hmm. So about, I'm going to say 10 years ago, maybe more, I had noticed that our culture was starting to fray. And I see this in a lot of practices that pay purely on production and that everybody was so worried about making money and taking care of their clients that it became territorial. Mm -hmm. You know, we weren't offering the best client care. We'd have a vet whose client had a horse that was colicking, but they were 45 minutes away. And we'd have a vet available who was five minutes away and the vet who was the primary owner of the client would be like, I'll get there, I'll get there, I'll get there. And they were working crazy long hours. And it was just like I said, our culture is starting to really suck. It's a bunch of islands competing against each other. So I went to all the vets and I said, I'm not loving our culture. It's not what we set out to be. What does everybody else think? And everybody kind of agreed. I said, I want to go to salary. I want the practice to grow and I want nobody to worry about, oh, I got to work this. I got to do that to make money. You're going to make money. You're great people. You're hard workers. I don't, I don't worry about that. But I want to be able to bring on a young vet and I want to be able to go to a vet and say, can you mentor this person? Can you take the extra time? Can you, you know, take some time off, do some client education, do some of the, that training? And I said, what I'll do is we don't know where we're going. It's uncharted waters. I will pay you what you made last year on production plus, you know, cost of living wage increase. And let's take it from there. And everybody's like, all right. 
And, you know, and a lot of people say, well, Mike, why don't they, they're not incentivized to work because they're not getting paid commission. I'm like, money is not the only thing that motivates people. Mm -hmm. And so I can tell you that since we've done that, we have grown 9% at least every year and all of our vets are on salary. And since then our culture is so much more harmonious It's collaborative veterinarians will take the time to help train new vets, take the time to train technicians. We just are a team of working with each other, not against each other. That's great. So you got no pushback from that suggestion nope. from anyone? No, because I said, I mean, you're, I mean, you all worked your tail off last year, yeah. you know, and you've made X amount of dollars. So I'll pay you that because I believe in you as people that just because, you know, your compensation system has changed, that doesn't mean you're going to be approaching your clients any differently. Sure. And they didn't. Sure. I mean, you just, you hire right, the right people and good people. They were not going to change. And then- have you guys ever implemented any sort of profit sharing system or anything like yes. that? Yeah. Yeah. And so the other thing we've done is we do a profit sharing for all staff, everybody. Great. And we take 10% of our profit and we split it up equally amongst all staff. Awesome. We did that once a year, but now we've changed it to doing it quarterly because, you know, if you do it once a year with having your financials done, it's so far removed from the activity of doing it. So we do it every quarter. Great. Yeah. That's a great idea too. Okay. And then another. Yeah. So I did my executive MBA in 2013 to 2015. You know, one of the advantages of, of graduating when you're older is, you know, you're a little wiser about life. The other problem is, is when you make mistakes, you have less time to correct them. And I, as we were growing, I made some mistakes. I said, I need to be smarter. So I did my executive MBA and I started shifting what I, you know, I read less equine vet journals afterwards and more business journals. And I remember reading when I, after I graduated, really a profound article from MIT Sloan, the business school at MIT on employee engagement surveys and the value of having highly engaged employees. Highly engaged businesses are, are have high increased revenue, increased profitability, lower staff turnover, increased client loyalty. And they were discussing it in context of large corporations, but I'm like, this can apply to my business. And so we did that. So we did our first employee engagement survey in the spring of 2016. And, you know, your practice is your baby. And then when you get scores back and we ended up, our score was 77, which is really high, but, you know, A-type personalities were like, why is it at 90? And then you just <laughs> take it to heart. The one thing that we picked out of it is that our vets were the lowest score. What I've learned since and with the work I do with Oculus, we've done dozens of these across the world. It's rare to have both vets and support staff high together. It's either one or the other. So in our case, that year, the vets were low. Really what it was is the vets were tired, they're burnt out. And so, you know, being in the Northeast, our busy time of the year is, let's say, March till like June. It's nuts. And we're still pretty steady until November. But up until doing an unemployment engagement survey, by the time June came along, everybody was, in, was pretty crusty, bad moods. A lot of tears. You come into the office some days and at the end of the day, there was some tears, just a lot of unhappy people. Going back to our initial premise when we started the practice of you've got to take care of your staff and make sure that they're on board, I just said, we got to do something different. And so I proposed to all the vets, I said, you know, you're working five days a week, you're on call one and four, that's our goal, but it's, it's not enough because, you know, if you look at it, an equine vet, they'll be talking to their classmates who are in companion animal and they may be working 32, 35 hours a week, making more money. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I could pay you a bit more. We don't charge an equine as much as some companion animal practices do, but 
I think that if we worked less hours, we'd be more productive. So I said, let's go to a four-day work week. Fifth day, use it. If you've got you know medical records you got to catch up on, client communication, you sort of know you have that buffer. But if everything is caught up, yeah, just you be you. You know, so basically, we reduced our our veterinary capacity by twenty percent. And so every month, I'd be looking at, you know, so this started in July of twenty twenty six. So every month, I'd look at the sales from the year before. And like, how's it? Because I'm like, we're going to lose twenty percent. Like, we're just our sales are going to go down. We're going to have happier vets. Long story short, our sales were up thirteen percent. So we had twenty percent less capacity, but we went up 13%. We did the employee engagement score. The score for the vets went up, I think, 7% to like low 80s. And I remember walking into the office in a June and what normally you'd hear tears or just a quiet, tense office. There was like joyous laughter coming out of the office one day. And I just sort of sat back and savored it. I'm like, that's that's what it should be about. Like, we spend a, a good part of our waking hours at work. We should be enjoying being at work. We should enjoy who we're working with. And, and we should be able to support the people that we work with in that manner. Yeah. So we've stayed with that since then. And, you know, what happens, a new vet starts, they need to sort of get orientated. But at six months, they go to the four-day week and there you go. Yes, I firmly believe in a four-day work week. So do you think that your vets were working longer hours on those four days? Or do you think that they were just more productive because they were less burnt out or some combination? Much more productive. Much more productive. Got it. I, I think they're working less hours. So here's a thesis that I had is, you know, it's been a long day. You're tired. You're at a you're at a call and you've got a fat tendon. You're like, oh, yeah, I could scan it, but I'm tired. I want to just mm-hmm. get home next time. Next time, we know it's a bow tendon. Next time, yeah. But when all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I know I got a day off. Let's do that. And, and they spend more time, and it's just everybody became more productive. Now at the same time, to be fair, we got smarter about how we schedule our vets so they're not running all over. Uh, so that helped for sure. But I, I believe and what's been proven year after year is just that the vets have more time. They're more engaged. I remember oh, about three months after we started this, one of our senior vets emailed me and just said, um, I want to thank you for going to the four-day work week. I enjoy being a vet again. I'm off on this Friday and I'm, I'm reading journal articles for the first time in years and I'm actually enjoying it. And another vet sent a picture of her. All I could see was a picture of her garden. And she's like, this is my day today. Thank you so much. And I'm just sitting out having, reading a book and just having a drink and life's fine. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. And then I know that you said you wanted to be a very collaborative culture. So within the change in work schedule and change to salary, do people still have primary clients or is it more of a shared client base? So we tell our clients that ideally, you know, if you've got, you know, sport horse barn or a bunch of lamenesses or, you know, breeding mares, consistency is best. So, you know, if a vet starts with a lameness, the vet's going to continue on with the lameness. But when it comes to an emergency or if it comes to other things like one of your horses, you know, has hives or something, you should know that every one of our vets is on board. We They communicate well and you'll just... And you'll get them and our clients are fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing we do have to be careful on is, you know, is that continuity of care for specific cases or even, you know, we all have those problem horses that they're always getting hurt or what have you. So Mm -hmm. we want to have that too. But 
we do uh, net promoter score surveys to uh, solicit client feedback. And one of the consistent comments we get is how collaborative the vets are. So whichever vet shows up, they know the case, they, they're up to speed, they've talked to the other vet. We use Slack in our business, and our which is sort of like a commercial messaging service. Mm-hmm. And our vets are on it all the time. I just went to this farm. I saw this. What do you think? And mm. just sharing x-rays, showing, you know, or ultrasound. So it's a super collaborative environment. Got it. Okay. I just had a question about boundaries and then did a whole episode on it. What's your policy on contacting vets on their days off or when they're not on call? And like, how do you guys manage or control that? We try to tell people when you're off, you're off. You're not expected to answer the phone. Uh, if we do contact you, it may be related to an emergency that you have information that we don't know yet. Like, for example, maybe they didn't get their medical records done on time, whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't expect anybody to contact. What ends up happening is, you know, because we have Slack, and even though you can put your notifications that I'm out of the office, even on days off, vets are contributing when somebody has a case problem. And I've talked to them because we do annual, you know, employee reviews. And I'm like, you know, do you feel obliged? They're like, no, I just, one of my colleagues is in a challenge. I have the answer or I have something that's valuable. I'm happy to contribute that. Okay. And actually, it's funny. It's like Ontario, the province of Ontario just instituted a new law that's going to affect on June, which is a do not disturb after hours for all employees. So if any business, I think over the 50 employees, you're not allowed to contact them out of hours. And that's modeled on some European countries. I know. I think France was the first one to do it. And I was laughing. I'm like, does it make a difference to ours? Because we never, like, we just said to people, you're off, you're off. Like, don't answer your phone. Place is burning down. You might hear from us. <laughs> I mean, why, why bother them? Like, they're, right. they're off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. But it's still out there. <laughs> well, I know. I know. But I just like, it's, why do we need to do that? Okay, well, I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to ask if you had any advice for owners that are struggling to keep veterinarians or if they feel like they're struggling to create a practice where people enjoy working. Yeah, I'm just writing an article on that right now, and it's really what it comes down to. I, I sort of had an epiphany. Uh, I was reading a book in the late 2000s called Setting the Table. It's written by Danny Myers, who founded a group of restaurants in New York City. And in the book, his, his basic thesis was you have to take care of your employees first. Only if you take care of them will they take care of your clients well. And it was sort of like this big light bulb moment. And from then, we shifted that we think of our, our staff as our first clients. And we do whatever we can to take care of them first because, I mean, we've all been in those businesses and they're all talking about, we have great customer service and they have decals and signs all over and it's, and it's like beyond poor mediocre. It's like horrible because nobody really cares. And if they don't care about where they work with, who they work for, why are they going to try hard for clients? Mm-hmm. So we really have this attitude of we take care of each other. So to that end, this is a long answer to a short question. We're very focused on our core values and purpose, and these are living, breathing documents. They dictate everything we do. We hire people that have shared values. We have a core purpose, and it really drives any decision-making. It's our guiding light. And so we listen to our staff a lot, like we do the annual employee engagement surveys. We're always listening for feedback, and we try to make ourselves as responsive to staff as possible. And I think, you know, when we go through hard times like we did with COVID, 
our staff is on board and we just did some big strategy sessions with all of our staff. And one of the things I asked is what did everybody learn over the last couple of years? And pretty well is unanimous that we have a great team. We take care of each other and that helped get us through the pandemic. So it, we, we have a very flat hierarchy. Uh, there's no egos. You know, I tell all the vets, you can't do your jobs without the vet assistants. And if the, vet, if the vet assistants, if you didn't have a vet, you wouldn't have a job. And uh, we get along great. And so we drive culture. That is number one. Great. I love that. And that's a great quote from that book. I haven't heard that one. So perfect. Thank you. I know that you provide a lot of services. So if someone is looking for help in this area, where can they find you or get in touch? So you can uh, reach us. Uh, I have another business, Oculus Insights, where we do uh, business consulting and advising, and we do a, a lot of the employee engagement surveys. So you can just reach me at uh, mpownall at oculusinsights.net or just Google me, LinkedIn. We're, we're Perfect. There. I'll put some links in the show notes for sure. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate the insight. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you got some really interesting insight like I did from Dr. Pownall. I so appreciate the time he spent with us. If you will notice, I forgot to ask him my joy question. So I followed up with an email and he said that something that has brought him joy lately has to be the onset of spring when he's hearing birds in his backyard begin to sing as the sun rises. He says it's a welcome sound after a long Canadian winter. I cannot believe it's taken me 51 episodes to forget that question. And this is me practicing what I preach and giving myself a little self-compassion about forgetting to ask that question. It made me want to redo the whole thing and make him record again, but he is too busy to ask that of him. So I had to just go with it and realize that perfect is not what we're looking for here. So anyway, next episode is going to be the last of the season four equine series. Although let's be honest, I'm of course going to incorporate any equine aspects I can into all of my episodes. But next week I am going to get together with my co-creators of the sustainability and equine practice seminar series. And we're going to recap the amazing event we just held in Charlotte in March. So if you haven't heard about it, make sure to tune in in two weeks as we recap it. As always, thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate the time that you spend with me. For more information or to sign up for the monthly newsletter, please check out the newly revamped website at thewholeveterinarian.com. You can also connect with me on Instagram at The Whole Veterinarian. And lastly, if you have a spare moment, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show. Thank you again so much, and I will talk to you soon.